and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. Well, last week I promised I was going to give you an update on the jigsaw that I'm doing. This is the biggest excitement in my life at the moment because it's one that my parents gave me for Christmas. It's got a picture of me and Alfie going cross country last season on it. Well, I have to say, we are still plugging away at the jigsaw. It's not finished yet. We've uh, we've finished me and the horse, but there is an awful lot of sky and trees, and that's very tricky. So we've got to the point where basically, if you do like six or ten pieces in a session, that is a major achievement. So it's going to take us a few more a few more days or weeks but I've got plenty of time at the moment and it's good to be kept occupied. So listeners, I will bring you an update when the jigsaw is complete, but don't hold your breath. Meanwhile, our interviewee today is Olympic gold medalist Laura Tomlinson. She gives us some great insight into juggling family life and being a top-level sportswoman. Riding horses is almost like a, a meditative thing for me. It's like my moment to me, my moment to myself, my moment where I can zone out from everything else that's going on and just focus on what I'm doing on that particular horse. I'll then be joined by my colleagues on the news desk to discuss Brexit, rare breeds in danger and pony deaths on the road in the New Forest. Finally, Jason Webb, a trainer who specialises in starting young horses and retraining those with problems, talks us through anxiety in horses and what might be making your horse worried. Horses are claustrophobic animals. Horses don't like to feel trapped that is a big problem for them and they will do whatever it takes to get out of that situation. So that's enough of me. Tighten your girth and let's get started. Hello, I'm Polly Bryan, dressage editor at Horse and Hound. Our special guest on today's episode is none other than Laura Tomlinson, Olympic team gold medalist at London 2012, who also won individual Olympic bronze and a host of other championship medals on the wonderful Mistral Horace. Hi, Laura. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Excellent. So we're now well into the third and hopefully final coronavirus lockdown. Um, how have you and your family been coping with the pandemic so far? Oh, you know, I, we try not to complain because we're very lucky to be out in the countryside and we live on a farm and have a lot of space. So given that I have three children, I, I feel very blessed to have, um, yeah, just outdoors to kick them out into when they get too much inside. <laughs> and uh, horses and, and their ponies as a distraction presumably is very welcome. Exactly. I use the riding as, as a reward system for finishing homeschooling. So... Oh, well done. I can't imagine how you're juggling homeschooling around your uh, Grand Prix horses. How's that going? Yeah, it's it's a cha- it's a new challenge, <laughs> but um, no, it's it's all right. Luckily, it's a quiet part of the season. It's not like mm. we're going anywhere major at any time too soon. Anyway, so it's it's it, it's at least a, a good time. At least it's not sort of you know during prime time comp- competition time for me. Yes, of course. Although that said, you must have been so glad to get out to compete at the National Grand Prix Championships just before Christmas at Hartbury, where you finished fifth with your fabulous mare, Rose of Bavaria, a.k.a. Betty. Uh, That must have been just a real, a really good experience for her, for you to get out after such a tough year. Yeah, it was really a really nice thing to have to look forward to, because otherwise sometimes you know, in training, it can go a bit stale when you've, you you haven't got anything you're building up to over quite a long period. So it was really nice to have something to look forward to. It was a little bit hectic being that close to Christmas, what with um, <laughs> the kids and everything. So it wasn't, um, I, I wouldn't say it was the most um, relaxing competition time <laughs> I've ever had, but um, 
Actually, I think before the Grand Prix, I fell asleep for an hour and a half in the lobby. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I, I literally just passed out. I was so delighted to have some quiet. Oh gosh! Um, but it was, um, yeah, it was, it was great. Betty felt really good in the Grand Prix and in the freestyle as well. It was her first ever freestyle, and it's a very, very tough choreography that I've written her. So I was mm. really pleased with how well she coped for the first time in there. But I think a lot more to come from her in the freestyle when when she's a little bit more experienced with that with that routine because. The actual mu music and, and all of that sort of side of things doesn't affect her at all. She she kind of copes with anything like that. So, mm. no, it's really fun. Yeah, she looks very, very focused in the arena. Like, she really just wants to work for you and, and get on with the job. Yeah, I've never, other than Alf, I've never had a horse that's that focused um, in competition. Um, and Alf was, was a, obviously, he's, he was a very different character to her, much more. Um, Alf being Mistral Horace. Yes, for sorry, anyone who doesn't Mr. Know. <laughs> Alf. Um, he was definitely a lot more flighty and a lot more impressed by atmosphere and things than Betty. Mm. But still, when he was on it, he was extremely focused. And I'd say Betty's the only other horse I've known that that is that focused on just what they're doing in the arena and what I'm asking of them, rather than all the other little things that might be going on around them. Yeah, we've featured her in our Spotlight series and this week's issue of the magazine. And in that, you speak about what a great partnership you've built up with her in a relatively short space of time, I guess. You say that she's she's a real one-person horse. Yeah, so I've had her just over two years, but when I first got her, I was actually pregnant with my third. So she had a fairly quiet start to things at that point. Um, uh, but she's, yeah, she's, she's, a, she's a quirky one. She can be really easy in some senses, but... She's quite quirky as well, and she just likes to, you know, have the people she knows and trusts really well around her, and she doesn't really... Um, she's very friendly to everyone else, but, you know, she she definitely... I think she's one of those horses that will do anything for her one person, but mm. everyone else sort of, she's not too bothered with. <laughs> did it take quite a long time to build up that partnership with her, or did you manage to establish it relatively, relatively quickly? No, it, it took it took a bit of time. Um, it, there was there was times when I first started riding her again after my pregnancy where I was like I just don't think we bought the right oh, horse no. here <laughs> because like between Lara and me we would be like tag teaming trying to get her on the bit in a snaffle and like we just couldn't oh, <laughs> she was so she could do the movements but she was so like rigid and, right, and okay. strong and big and um and then I don't know it's sort of just uh, the more I rode her uh, it just suddenly started to click quite quickly actually. And I remember dad was back and forth quite a lot back then and he came back this one time and I was like, I think I'm starting to crack her. Like she's just <laughs> starting to melt and and she did. And and, and sort of after that, um, it all went hand in hand, the sort of physical side as well as the mental side with her. Yeah, okay. Because you're, you're quite used to a horse that takes a little bit of time to come to their own, aren't you, with, with Alf? I know yeah. that um, when we spoke about him for the Legends series that he featured in over Christmas um, and you were reminiscing about the early days with him and obviously there were quite a lot of ups and downs towards the start of your career with him, weren't there? Yeah, he was a loose cannon. He was very different to Betty. Like she, she yeah, she's a goody two-shoes. Um, Whereas he was, he was. I don't, I don't actually think he was trying to be naughty. He was just very flighty, very mm. scared, um, and it took a long time to build his mental trust more than anything else. Like he was just, um, he used to be scared. Then he'd take off, and then he'd be scared of having taken off. I think he used to anticipate being socked in the teeth for it. So right. it took me quite a while to to teach him that it was okay to get a fright and nothing bad was going to happen afterwards. And then as he started to realise that, he, you know, he took flight a lot less often. And um, uh, yeah, so he was he was very challenging for different reasons, um, but um, 
both very, very cool horses to ride for different reasons as well. Yeah, I, oh my gosh, I can imagine. And you've got some other horses, haven't you, that are really exciting that we have we have seen out in previous years. What are, what are your other horses doing at the moment? Yeah, I've got, well, I had, um, I have my stallion Caprisona mm. Jr., who we call Cass, who's had a bit of time off actually, because he had a bit of a bone bruise, sadly. Oh, right, okay. Um, I haven't had a horse have a bone bruise before, but anyway, he he's, um, so he's just coming back into a little bit of light work now. So hopefully for, by the time we're allowed to do anything again, hopefully he'll be back in action. And then I've got a younger horse, where well, he's actually the same age as, as Betty, called Fallatin Van Kairos, we call him Finn. Mm. Um, and he's a very bouncy chestnut, um, which I think he, he tends to evoke a lot of sort of people's memories of me on Alf because he's a chestnut. He's got a thin white stripe, not a thick white stripe <laughs> on his face, but still other than that, he's got white legs and he's, and he's very exuberant. So very different type of horse to Betty, but also very, very cool and very um, just, yeah, spectacular he is when he's when he's on a mission, so. And he's how old? He's rising 11 as well. Yeah. But I've had him longer. I've had him since he was six. And what level is he at now? He's, the last time I competed him, uh, he got 75% in an inter two. Okay, so will he be coming out Grand Prix some yeah, point soon? Yeah, I, he definitely um sort of once we're allowed to start competing again he's mm. kind of just tinkering on the edge of whether i do another inter two just because he hasn't been out for ages and then do mm. a grand prix or whether i come straight out grand prix i'm not sure yet but he's um he's just about there as well now so very exciting yeah. and of course you've still got alf at home out in the field haven't you yeah how did he take to retirement he was much better than i thought like I was really worried about it, but actually him and Andretti, my, his stable mate of the, of the time, they both go out every day together, but they still come in at night. They're the only, yeah, they're the only horses we've retired that get that status. <laughs> they still come in at night and have Luxury. their feet picked out and they get, you know, brushed <laughs> off and, um, you know, so they, they, they still get a little bit of pampering, but other than that, they don't get worked or anything like that. They literally just go in the field in the day and come in at night and they are very well on very good form and, Aww. um, yeah, they're, they're, they're having a very nice retirement together. Oh, that's so lovely to hear. And I mean, they certainly, certainly deserve it. And as we discussed in the in the legend feature about Alf, there, there's very few other horses that have done as much as he has done for, for British dressage because you had such an incredible career on him. Um, would you say the London Olympics was your highlight with him? Definitely. I think, you know, a home games is a pretty special thing for any athlete to witness. Um, but to, to have that success at home games and, and the first ever British dressage Olympic uh, gold medal was, mm. you know, it's pretty hard to sum that up in, in words. Yeah, I can imagine because of course you were on, on the teams in the years leading up to that. And as Britain was really starting to sort of become a real part of the, the scene, but that must have been an incredible experience to, to go through that and then finally to come out on top and to win that gold medal that, that everyone knew Britain was capable of, but had never quite happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember at the time, Carl, Charlotte and I were all like, to be honest, right now, it's just relief more than joy. <laughs> That, that but, um, it had sort of come come through and happened. Yeah, definitely. But it, mm. you know, but it's it, it exactly. It's it's sort of that initial sort of wanting it to to all come together, and and you know, once it does, first you're just relieved, but then the joy comes through, obviously. And um, I was obviously really able to enjoy my freestyle um, to the max, yeah. but it was um, a very special time for for all of us. 
Yeah, it really was. And for everyone watching as well. And I think there'll be a lot of people who remember your freestyle to your amazing Lion King music and the look on your face at the end when you punched the air because <laughs> Alf really gave you everything in that test, didn't he? Yeah, he did. I mean, it was incredible to watch and I imagine it was incredible to ride. And presumably now you're really looking ahead to all fingers crossed Tokyo later this year. Yeah, I mean, it's such a weird time trying to plan and imagine, you know, those sorts of things going ahead and um, being able to do enough beforehand to, you know, put yourself in one of those team slots because, of mm. course, we've got a few combinations that uh, uh, seem like more of a given because they've they've done more. Um, you know, the likes of Charlotte on 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 freestyle are, are, are seem like an obvious given. And then you've got um, Gareth Hughes on Brialinka, who I assume will still and hope will still be going, um, who've obviously been on team slot. So you've got a few team players that have been out already and, and are proven. So, um, but then you've got probably a few a few of us coming up on horses um, that haven't been proven yet that are going to have to fight out the team spaces. So I think it'll be really exciting times as long as we all get out and are able yeah. to, to to sort of do our campaign. It's it's just becomes tricky if 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 you don't get a chance to campaign properly um especially when you're out coming out on sort of upcoming horses because yeah the horses need the competitions and and the, and the time to settle and prove themselves um and of course yeah you need you need sort of need to have enough competitions to prove yourself to selectors so um it, it's a, it could be an exciting year as long as we do at some point get going um yeah. if not it could be a frustrating year but you know we've got a at the moment i think you've just got to roll with the times and and just keep changing changing your goalposts according to what's available. Yeah, I think that's a really a really sensible way of looking at it. And actually that's on along the same lines of uh, things that you've written in your monthly horse and hound column about setting goals and, you know, adapting your goals for the circumstances and not trying to achieve uh, too much too quickly that just isn't possible at the moment. And that's that's really good advice, I think. That's what it's about at the moment. Um, and, and I think, you know, we're it's it's easy to to sort of complain on, you know, first world problems at the same time, you know, we're lucky um, as, uh, you know, most of me and my competitors are lucky enough to have our horses at home, be able to keep training and, and do what we do. Um, and, um, you know, the competition is obviously the icing on the cake, but I think um, given what's going on around us in the world at the moment, it's it's um, probably important to try and keep keep perspective. Mm. Even in normal times, juggling your career, juggling your family. I mean, I think everyone would be very impressed with, with how you do that. And you said you ended up having a nap at the, at the Nationals before Christmas. It's, it's full on. And, and I imagine that's, that's a great thing for you at the moment. It, it is full on. Um, three is, is definitely too many children. <laughs> no, um, it, it, it's, it's really good fun. And um, it brings me other things, you know, it brings other things to the, to the table and, mm. and to my life that I wouldn't change for anything. But for sure, there's times where, where it makes um, trying to, you know, reestablish my career um, more challenging. Um, and but that's something I've chosen. And it's something I, I have to live with. But I'm I'm very motivated and very determined because I want to show I have two of my three children are, are girls and I want to show them that you know you can you can have it all you can be yeah. a mum and a very very present mum and still have a career and and be um, at the top of your game at the same time it might take a little bit longer and it might be be pretty exhausting at times but you know it's still doable. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really important. Do you do you have a sp- sort of a specific technique when it comes to sort of switching your attention? So you know you're you're in the mum world and then you're in the in yeah. the rider zone. Luckily, I've always been someone that's able to compa- compartmentalize quite well and to switch in and out of like if I I could be mid maths homeschooling one second I will whiz down to the yard put my boots and hat on jump on my horse and I'm in the zone for that I don't find that very very difficult at all because I'm you know the riding the horses is almost like a a meditative thing for me it's like Mm. my moment to me yeah my moment to myself my moment where I can zone out from everything else that's going on and just focus on what I'm doing on that particular horse and um for me that's almost a break yeah it's a break from is a break from the other part of my life and vice versa. So it works because it has to. <laughs> yes, of course. What advice would you give to other other riders, other women who who want to juggle, you know, those two elements of their lives, but are, but are perhaps worried that their riding career might suffer as a result of having a family or, or they might not be able to be as present a mother as they would hope to be whilst also trying to ride? Um two things I, I'm really lucky because my horses are at home and I've got a great team at home on my yard um, so I can dip in and out and know that um, everything else that needs to be done with my horses is being done to the highest standard but equally I can whiz my my stables are literally down some steps so from my house so I I can check in and out several times a day it doesn't t- take a car journey or anything like that mm, for me so I'm happy. lucky from that point of view I can be at home with my kids and be on the yard for the bits that I need to be. So that that makes life easier for me. Um, but as far as the 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 challenges go and and advice, I'd say um, don't 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 rush it. But also don't expect it to be like don't focus on the fact that it's not what it used to be. Right. Um, I think it's really easy to keep focusing on like oh, before I had the kids, I didn't have to do this or before I had the kids, I could do this. That's not mm-hmm. helpful because you have kids now. So you have to find the positives, um, positive strategies and focus on, you know, what you can do and not focus on what you can no longer do, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, definitely does. Laura, thank you so much for coming on the Horse and Hound podcast today. It's been really, really great to chat. And hopefully we will all have a chance to see you out and about competing your lovely horses very soon. Thank you. So I'm joined today by three of my colleagues from the Horse and Hound News Desk to talk about what's going on in the horse world. Uh, Eleanor Jones, our news editor, is with us. How are you, Eleanor? What's going on? Uh, I'm fine, thank you. It's all sort of January lockdown, rain and mud with me. Oh, God, this is like a repeated uh, <laughs> repeated theme from, from you and everyone else, to be honest, isn't it? It's just it's just rain and mud out there. Yeah, but at least no snow. So that's that's a bonus. Okay, yeah, we did have a tiny bit of snow in London last week, which was quite strange. It was just like a couple of flakes on uh, on, on car windscreens. But anyway, we also have Lucy Elder, our senior news writer. What about you, Lucy? Is it just rain and mud with you? We had a fair bit of snow, actually, um, more than I was expecting, uh, certainly more than was forecast. So I've been trying to avoid that, um, riding when I can and you know, treating myself to reading the Brexit trade agreement most of this week, which has been a, a, a highlight. It's probably definitely the wrong word, but uh, it's kept me busy anyway. 
at least sometimes when I think I don't like aspects of my job, I think about you having to <laughs> battle at the face of Brexit and I've decided I'm the lucky one, in fact. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad we've got you to interpret for us again this week. And finally, we are joined by our news writer, Becky Murray. How are you, Becky? I'm good. Um, no riding due to the ice, but I can rely on my two miniature Shetlands to keep things interesting. Um, I take my horses in first and then I take my Shetlands in in the evenings and they've become a bit impatient with this routine and started darting under the electric fence. So one evening at the weekend, I had to reclaim them from my neighbour's garden, which um, (laughs) my partner found hilarious, me not so much, but I mean, I'm trying to keep my sense of humour in place. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hoping that because they're quite small and hopefully quite light and they have small feet, they didn't do too much damage. Because of the ice, thankfully not. I mean, I didn't go and say they were in the garden, but um, I reclaimed them. So. Get away from the scene of the crime quickly and hope no one measures the footprints and exactly. makes the connection. <laughs> well, thank you. It's good to have you all on board as always. Lucy, we're coming to you first today and we've already given a hint of what you're writing about. It's Brexit again. And this week you've been looking at how businesses in the equestrian sector, which trade across borders, are affected. What sort of challenges are businesses facing at the moment? So, yes, Pippa, as you said, this is a sort of second part of the the Brexit trilogy. Is that the right phrase to use? Um, That we're running across news in last week, this week and the coming week's issues. So businesses, and this isn't unique to the equestrian sector, this is challenges faced by the whole retail sector really, is there's quite a lot of new red tape paperwork and... um, and things that go with that, that that came in on January the 1st. And of course, businesses that hadn't really had time to prepare for that because they didn't know what they were preparing for. Yes, we got a trade deal, but no one quite knew what that was going to be. And obviously that happened right at the end of December. So it's it's quite a challenge compounded with that of course the covid related delays we saw lots of lorries being stuck at dover before christmas because of coronavirus and so all of that it's not just one thing that's been an issue for companies it's been it's been everything and sort of shipping related costs as well as an as a sort of byproduct of the pandemic so all of that is proving quite quite a challenge for a lot of businesses but I think the main thing to say is that they is please do keep supporting them. They they are doing what they can to get through this and and your support if you if you can afford to support them at the moment really really is very important and there is a light at the end of the tunnel. So please don't think, oh I won't order or I won't buy things from from businesses because everyone they're all in the same boat, to be honest, and and they do really appreciate people's support at this time. And you spoke to some some business owners for this story and what sort of experiences were they reporting to you? quite mixed really and again it depends very much on whether they're importing or exporting where they are buying their products from where those products are made I think probably quite a lot of people have heard quite a bit about Percy Pigs recently in the news which isn't something I ever thought I'd be talking about on the Horse and Hound podcast or or in the magazine itself but product of origin that's part of the red tape so where something's made and where it's put together and where it's then sold that has quite an impact on what tariffs people are, are are finding so that's quite an interesting one and again 
where couriers themselves, I think, again, people have possibly heard that DPD suspended their activities earlier earlier this month. So again, there's lots of logistical impacts that, are, that businesses are finding. And again, they're working their way through them. Things are starting to move. It's just it's just a case of being patient, really. Um, if you're if you're a customer and you're ordering things and just understanding quite why there's there's a lot of things are out of businesses hands and lucy do you have a feel for the more long-term prospects here do we think that some of these problems are a temporary blip or do you think that businesses are going to be sort of limited by 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 this situation in the long term there's very much hopes that this is that brexit certainly is a temporary blip and of course the pandemic also hopefully is a temporary blip. So I think we're already seeing things start to move again. I spoke to some businesses that had prepared by stockpiling, quite serious stockpiling back in the autumn, so that they had quite a lot of stock there already, um, where they could, where that wasn't being impacted by other factors uh, to supply the UK market. Uh, also, it's been quite interesting. I don't know if any of our listeners also follow Jade Holland Cooper on Instagram, because she's been quite interesting talking about supply and um, and factories and where things are made and misconceptions and myths about things being made abroad and quality and so that's quite interesting and I I think that she's going to be talking more about that on her on her website as well so there's very much hopes that this is a temporary blip again as I said earlier please do keep supporting these businesses overall I've been told that trade is good and is strong in the equestrian sector which is really positive news and and I think that's that's very important to stress. And it's not a case that you're not going to get your products or you shouldn't order them. Please do keep keep buying and just understand that this is hopefully a temporary blip that's going to iron itself out sooner rather than later. Thank you, Lucy. So the message here is that things are going to get better. Yes, we certainly hope so. And thank you for explaining all this to us. Now, Eleanor, we are coming to over to you now to look at a story that you've been working on, which is about rare breeds. How did this story come about? Uh, yes, yeah, this was really interesting. So the um, National Equine Forum is usually held in early March and is going to be this year as well, but it's going to be online. And so in advance of that, they've done two webinars. First one was last week and it was called Just in Time, Using Science to Save Our Rare Breeds, um, looking at what the issues are facing our endangered UK native horses and ponies and how we can protect them. Hmm. And there are some really great scientific advances that were being discussed in that webinar, which can be used to help these rare breeds and, and try to preserve them. Can you just give us a flavour of what some of those sort of scientific techniques are all about? Yeah, so one, one of them is strategic breeding, which was described as being like the tinder of the horse world. <laughs> yeah, so there's a system used by the Cleveland Bay Horse Society called Sparks, and it, it, it looks at the um, uh, the genotypes of every horse and compares it to every other horse so you get sort of either a green mating which means go for it or an amber one which is okay or a red one which is do not mate these two horses because it could lead to further inbreeding uh, and that's where you have a big problem but then there are also the techniques like we've covered before like sexed semen where you um, can just you know breed a filly if, if you want a filly uh, they can if, if you've just castrated a colt or if a stallion has sadly died you can preserve its testicles and take the semen from that and freeze it you can also freeze the mare's eggs you could use a process where you inject one single sperm into the mare's um, egg and then freeze the embryo I and mean, it's amazing what they can do 
Mm, wow, that's interesting. I was speaking to um, someone about a stallion earlier this week for our sport horse breeding feature, and she said that his semen was good enough quality that they could offer sexed semen. I do find it quite funny that sort of once a year I talk to people about horse semen, but um, I'm not sure if we're allowed to have a little giggle about that. But um, these are sort of serious scientific advances which are very necessary to help with, with preserving our rare breeds. So thank you for that, Eleanor. Becky, we're coming to you last today to talk about a sad story about animal deaths in the New Forest. What, what sparked this? Well, every year there is road accidents involving animals in the New Forest, but very sadly there has been two road collisions in the past month involving multiple animals. One incident involved three donkeys and another incident involved four ponies. And you spoke to the head adjuster about this and and what did he say? What advice did he offer for drivers? Well, he discussed the figures with me firstly, and interestingly, the number of deaths involving animals had dropped slightly in 2020 compared to 2019, but he said there has been this bad run of incidents recently, and it's not just equines, you know, it's cattle and sheep are getting hit by cars too. He said one of the issues is, well, it's a 40 mile per hour speed limit, this obviously doesn't mean you should always drive at that speed. Drivers really need to take into account the road conditions, the visibility, especially in the dark, and not to become complacent. You know, they need to be on the lookout for animals in these roads. And, you know, at the end of the day, these animals are all owned by people. So it's really heartbreaking for these owners that these road collisions are happening. Hmm. So uh, people need to think of a 40 as a limit, not a target, I suppose, is the sort of message there and to drive appropriately. And remember, there are loose animals in the forest. Yes, exactly. You know, it's for somebody that owns these animals to get that phone call and for the adjusters themselves to have to go and deal with these incidents. It's just awful that and when it's incidents involving a large number four four ponies in one go, it's just it's really awful. Mm. That sounds dreadful. Well, if you are going to drive in the New Forest, probably not at the moment unless you live in the New Forest due to the lockdown, but something to to bear in mind in the future to take particular care. Thank you, Becky. And thank you to Lucy and Eleanor for joining us today too. So now we're going over to Jason Webb, a trainer who specialises in starting young horses and retraining those with problems. Born in Australia, Jason is now based in Kent in southern England and his online training service at yourhorsemanship.com means owners around the world can learn and benefit from his techniques. Over to you, Jason. In this episode, we're going to look at anxiety in horses. Now, I'm going to start by talking about a horse's natural instincts and one of those is that they are claustrophobic animals. Horses don't like to feel trapped uh, for obvious reasons. You can just imagine a horse in the wild um, getting stuck. That That is a big problem for them and they will do whatever it takes to get out of that situation. So how does that uh, affect us or affect a horse in the, in the human world and in the human-horse relationship? Well, horses can become anxious with contact so if you're holding on to your horse too tightly your horse can some horses can become claustrophobic and feel a little trapped so this creates sort of tension through the body Uh, and interestingly it's one of the reasons people go for this contact sometimes it can be trying to school your horse and and getting it just slightly wrong 
and, and taking too much when they're not quite ready. But a lot of the time it's because you yourself as a rider or as a handler on the ground are holding on to your horse too tightly because you're scared. And that tension goes through the rein. And uh, as a good, a good saying, I heard a great saying from Amanda Holloway, what's in the brain goes down the rein and obviously to the horse's brain. So if you're really anxious and you hold on to your horse too tightly, this creates a claustrophobic feeling to the horse. And suddenly you're getting, rather than more control, you're getting a sort of more explosive, anxious horse under you. Now, if you find yourself in that situation and you want to decompress your horse, then a great move is to compromise in a situation where you feel like you want to hold on or your horse is becoming anxious, is to use a circle. Now, small circles are great for this because they allow your horse to, to move, which is diffusing this anxiety or this nervous energy, but at the same time, controlling um, their movement. So that horse going on a small circle can't go fast or can't get going. And on a small circle, the hind end will be slightly stepping under or disengaging. Preferably, I wouldn't want a circle so small as my horse disengages because that will stop your horse. And if your horse starts to, to, to disengage too much, they'll stop. And if you're still hanging on or worried about them and hanging on, this can start them going backwards. So you want to do a small forward circle. Another cause of anxiety is when a horse becomes confused. Now, sometimes this can be because uh, handlers or, or riders um, aren't clear. There isn't clarity in what they want. And a lot of the time that comes down to, again, purpose and, and doing things with conviction. But sometimes, and this is important to note, when any, whether it be humans, horses, dogs, when you're going through a learning phase, there can be moments of anxiety because you're introducing something different. Now, if you've followed a process, you can reduce um, levels of anxiety which go over into flight. If you... If, you're, if a horse gets into a flight state, uh, they can't learn. So hence, processes are very, very important to keep that, that anxiety down. But we know from our own learning, when we're introduced something new, you feel like, I'm not sure about this. Um, um, you get a bit frustrated. Um, those sort of things can come into training, and it's perfectly normal. What is really critical at this point is clarity knowing what you want and understanding when to, to say well done to your horse. So the learning process can bring on moments of anxiety, but with process that can be kept at a, at a manageable level that your horse can sort of work through. And, and it's really important to note that when a horse does learn something and comes through that, you will have probably had it as well, that moment of, wow, that feels really good. I really understand now and I've got it. And the confidence grows. So learning is confidence, but it's not without its ups and downs. So, and it's, it's okay sometimes 
for the sake of clarity and consistency, to go back and reinforce ideas, to keep those levels of anxiety within um, a learning range. Um, lastly, with anxiety, um, I'm trying to stick to just three points. There's, there's a, a whole catalogue of, of things that can cause this, but is change. So if a horse is to move yards or change riders, even horses move fields, small things need to be taken into consideration when you're sort of thinking, why is my horse like this today? You might not realise it, but their routine, even the time of day that you bring them out and feed them, can have an effect on how your horse, um, horse's anxiety levels are. So there are some horses of, that are sort of colder-blooded um, or really experienced that you can change your routine, you can put them in different situations, it doesn't matter. They don't uh, tend to change their way of being. But there are other horses that are really susceptible to a change of routine. If you have one of those horses and you're able to have routines that you can take places, this is the key then that will hold you in good stead. If you have a routine just around the yard and your horse doesn't leave the yard or you don't have processes in place that you can take with you to, uh, to other venues, then you'll find that the anxiety will start to overcome the situation and you may end up in more of a flight state. I hope that's helpful with any of you that may have an anxious horse and uh, yeah, good luck. Thank you, Jason. Next week, Jason will be back to talk about dealing with spooking. I think we've all ridden a spooky horse at some stage. And I'll be speaking to Amy Phillips, groom to the 2019 Badminton winner, Piggy March. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. It's great to see the numbers growing every week, with over 2,000 people downloading our episode featuring Carl Hester at the end of last year. Please do rate, review and share the podcast to let your friends know about it too. Thank you for listening. See you next week. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.